not really going to dive deep into Pincus himself, um, but we're going to focus on the spirit he had, as well as the spirit, um, the spirit that Yeshua had uh, and showed in the parsha, the spirit that Elijah had and showed in the parsha, this spirit of zealousness, you know, found throughout the parsha this week, as well as focus, uh, as well as the focus. So it's one thing to have to have zeal or zealousness, whatever that means. We're going to get into defining it. As you know, I like defining words that we use many times just to make sure that we know what it, what, what it is. Um, but also, uh, so not only to have zeal, but also uh, the focus of it. Because as we know, um, one can have zeal, but it can be misguided. So I believe we must make sure that we not only understand what it means to have zeal or be zealous, but also ensure we aren't having zeal for the sake of having it, or having zeal that is guided by our views, our perspectives, our wills, as opposed to God's will. If that is the case, if it is misguided, and if that is the case, then I believe we are just the same as those in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that speak about who move in the spiritual gift of tongues, but, not have lo- but have not love. They are like a clanging symbol. If we as a people of God have a zeal, but it is not grounded in God's instructions, nor through the Holy Spirit, I believe we can cause great harm and most undoubtedly be a clanging symbol to those around us. So once we understand what zeal is and how we focus, how we focus it correctly, I think only then can we take an accounting of our daily lives to understand if we have a zeal for God as scripture references time and again, and if we are consumed by it. So with that said, as you see on the screen, today's title for, the title for today's message is, Does the Zeal for His House Consume You? So as I just mentioned, we're going to discuss what zeal is. And we're going to reference clearly several individuals, if not more, who had zeal through scriptures. And we're going to discuss what the focus of that zeal is. Obviously in this title and the scripture that the title comes from uh, references uh, God's house. Uh, And other uh, verses throughout scripture references different actions taken by those who are godly. And then of course referencing the the consuming uh, fire of that zeal. So the title comes to us from Ritz Kadashah portion today uh, in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, which states, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem, and within the temple grounds he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the, the doves, he said, Take these things away from here and stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Yeshua said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, yet you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Yeshua had spoken. 
Two very important aspects of this uh, section of verses. Number one, obviously the title for today, right? Zeal for your house will consume me. As the disciples were watching Yeshua cleanse the literal temple, you know, this verse resonated in their minds and in their hearts. As they saw Yeshua burn with passion, with that fire, with that zeal inside of him for God's word, for God's will, for God himself, they thought of this verse. And it's interesting, too, because the, the second part of this goes to the, the middle part of the title, where, where it talks about zeal for God's house. And when we think about God's house, what do we think about? And later on, we're going to compare it to a phrase we hear many times throughout Scripture, and we've been discussing uh, in Yeshiva that's found in Luke around uh, the kingdom of God. You know, what are these places? When they are referenced in Scripture, are they referencing a place and only a place? Clearly in the beginning section of this, uh, the beginning portion of this section that we just read in John 2, it, it's showing how Yeshua is cleansing the literal temple of these, of these thieves, of these um, um, individuals who are selling all the different uh, items that they had within the temple. But then later on in this portion in John 2, you see a, a, a switch. You see a change where they asked him again, the scribes and Pharisees and those around Yeshua continually asking Yeshua for a sign. It's always interesting when you see that, that request uh, for Yeshua to do a sign. For He's been traveling all of Israel. He's been performing all of these miracles. But yet, they're always like, well, show us a sign. If, if um, you know, what, what authority are you doing this by? Show us a sign why you, you can do this. So they're always seeking for him uh, to do something that they request in a sense. But it's interesting his, his response about, well, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Clearly, as scripture says, he was, meant, he was referencing the bottle, the, 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 his body, the temple of his body. So here we see a transition from the literal temple to a more figurative, uh, metaphoric temple, if you will, of Yeshua's body. And that kind of goes to scripture, it relates, we are the temple of God, you know, God dwells within us, um, that sort of understanding. So we're going to talk about that, because I think it is important when we think about, does the zeal for God's house, does the zeal for the kingdom of God, does the zeal for God consume us? on our day-to-day -day, um, journey throughout this world. So specifically in this section, we read how Yeshua was overturning tables, driving people out with whips, because they made the house of God a den of thieves, made it a marketplace instead of place where God's presence, where his instruction, and where his will should have been residing. So while observing Yeshua's actions, a verse from the writings came to the hearts and minds of the disciples because it perfectly described what was driving Yeshua's actions. So basically, and that's another part of this is, what drives the zeal we have within us? Is it grounded in scripture? Is it, is it moved through the Holy Spirit? Or is it grounded, is, is the focus something else? So clearly, through the actions of Yeshua, the disciples recognized his actions were grounded through the word of God. And the verse originates in Psalm 69, verse 9, which states, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. 
So here we see a Psalm of David clearly referencing the, the source of this uh, zeal for your house has consumed me. Um, the second part of this I find it very interesting because it's really saying when the zeal for God's house consumes you, you in a sense take on the will of God clearly, like we always talk about. And in taking on the will of God, the taunts that are always directed towards God end up being directed towards you. Because you are representing God on earth. So the, the persecution, the, the individuals coming against you, fall upon, as David says, and the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. The taunts that were directed towards God when the zeal for his house consumed me and I lived my life with that zeal, those taunts then started coming towards me. Yeshua's actions perfectly displayed how his zeal for God's house had consumed him. But what does this practically mean? What does it mean for the, the zeal to consume us? The term in Hebrew for zeal is kanah, which means passionate or enthusiasm. Understandable definitions, probably definitions and words, descriptive words that all of us uh, could have mentioned and said. Some other definitions have words like ardor or ardent. Not sure if you ever heard of ardor. I have not. I did not. It's an. Uh, it's a noun of a, a. You know. It's obviously describing a people that are passionate or that are enthusiastic. Um, and ardent. You know. Is the. Is the adjective for that? Like ardent love. You know. A passionate, enthusiastic, a steadfast state. Right? And I want to get to this place when we're talking about these descriptive words, when we're talking about zealousness or zeal, I want to make sure that we understand that these aren't just emotions taking place or um, emotions driving these uh, actions that we read in scripture or even driving us, right? Uh, because then it, you get into a place where, you know, people are always changing that high or that are chasing that high or chasing that emotion, right? And it really is now the reaction to the zeal within us might uh, draw out emotions, but zeal, the passion itself, is not an emotion. Zeal, zealousness, it's a state of being that all of us should be in. This passionate, enthusiastic, steadfast state a person consistently, consistently lives in towards someone, something. The three individuals in, the, in each section of today's partial exhibited this zeal. Whether Yeshua chasing the money changers out of God's house, or as we will read next, Elijah and Pincus, likewise moving with this zeal, with this enthusiasm. We read how Elijah and how he was running for his life after he killed the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 19, 1-8, which states, now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more so, if by about this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the life of one of them. And he was afraid and got up and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he, he asked for himself to die and said, Enough, now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. 
Then he lay down and fell asleep under a broom tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a round loaf of bread baked on hot coals and a pitcher of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. But the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too long for you. So he rose and ate and drank, and he journeyed in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So we see here Elijah coming from this, this spectacle of Mount Carmel, right? Where he comes up against all of these different prophets about all. And he's calling down the fire to lick up the water and the sacrifice that he places out there to go against the, the one that the prophets about all thought was a, a god. You know, he comes from this, and then, of course, there's going to be a reaction to it. But as we think about that scenario, that event where Elijah went against the prophets of Baal, he couldn't have went against them. He couldn't have had the boldness, the strength to move, and the faith in God to move against, to move in that situation without having a zeal for God, without having a zeal for God's will. Right? That wouldn't have taken place just because he has an emotion for God. That takes place because at his core, he was representative of God's love. When we go into another scripture, it talks about uh, Pincus's jealousy is like my jealousy. So, and we, we think about David, you know, David has a heart like that of God's heart. When we look at this in Elijah, that spirit of zealousness, he had a zealousness like God's zeal has for his creation, for this world, for us. Similarly, that's how Eliyahu could move in such boldness, in such passion, and stand against such evil. But as, you know, that occurred, then of course, uh, Jezebel was going out killing all the prophets uh, for her anger burned, of course. And he makes his way to the mountain of God in Horeb because he's running for his life. And God is providing for him and guiding him. And I know scripture talks about that the bread that he was given lasted those 40 days and 40 nights. Clearly, God carried him upon eagle's wings. He sustained him for those 40 days and 40 nights. And brought him to this mountain where he came into a cave. And God appearing to him in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 14, which states, And he came there to a cave and spent the night there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. The sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they have sought to take my life. So he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. For the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. So here we read it. 
great set of uh, set of verses uh, that we've all read many times. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because when you compare kind of what I'm saying around how zeal at its core produces these actions that we read about. Now, many of the actions from the zeal that we're reading about are ones of, uh, many of us like the term righteous anger, right? Whether it's Pincus shav uh, shoving the javelin through two people or whether it's, um, you know, Elijah uh, going against the prophets of Baal and bringing, uh, requesting God to bring down the fire and killing those prophets of Baal, or um, whether it's Yeshua driving out the money changers with a whip. You know, we, we see this, um, but it's also, you know, the zeal that one has uh, with joy and passion and enthusiasm for serving God. And, but it's interesting, though, that when we see here, as God moved to come to speak to Eliyahu, all these things that are occurring, right, the, the earthquakes, the, the mountain, the rocks on the mountains being uh, ripped apart from the wind, all of this uh, thunderings and lightnings occurring, but it, God wasn't in that, right? That might be a reaction to God moving, but God wasn't in that. Right? God came later in that still small voice, that quiet voice, that gentle voice, uh, depending on the version uh, you're reading. But here we read how Eliyahu had been zealous uh, and had the zeal for the Lord and the armies of God. This zeal that drove him to do many great things in the name of God. You know, we're just, I'm referencing Mount Carmel, but of course you could see in here, he even references, you know, how the zealous, he was zealous for the Lord, for the God of, of armies, for the sons of Israel, for, you know, he, um, for the sons of Israel abandoned the covenant. You know, he was zealous for the people of Israel to turn back to Tshuva, back to, to uh, God. But just like how we read about Yeshua, an enthusiastic, steadfast, ardent passion that drove them to move mightily, consistently, and faithfully in the spirit, instruction and will of God, he did so as well. As I mentioned before, we all know the action Pincus took and how he moved in the will of God, which led him to staving off a plague and receiving the covenant of peace from God. But let's read how his actions were described by God when he spoke to Moses about the actions Pincus took. Numbers 25, 10 through 13 state. And the Lord spoke to Moshe, saying, Phinehas, Pincus, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aharon, the priest, has averted my wrath from the sons of Israel, that in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I am giving him a covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and for his descendants after him a covenant of a permanent priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. So in this scripture, obviously, he uses the terms uh, jealousy. It, when you look at the Hebrew term, it is the same Hebrew term as uh, zeal or zealous uh, throughout scripture. So really, it is saying that the sons of Israel, uh, it's saying that my, uh, he has averted my wrath from the sons of Israel and that he was zealous with my zealousy, as I mentioned before. That, that Pincus was moving with the zeal that God had. So just like Yeshua and Elijah, Pincus had this zeal that aligned with God's zeal. He was steadfast in his devotion, reverent uh, to God's instructions, and consistently lived in that state. A state that drove these men 
to ha take action to protect and cleanse the house of God of evil that was seeking to gain a foothold in their day. Each of these men exemplified what it meant to have zeal. But I want to be sure we understand again what having zeal means, because if we just went off these three examples, I think many might get the wrong impression. I think we've seen this throughout time, um, throughout history, if you will, of acts of people doing things in the name of God that God had nothing to do with. Many might think that to have zeal means to chase people with whips until they repent. Many might think killing hundreds, if not thousands, of idol-worshipping prophets. Many might think stabbing a javelin through two people is the definition of zeal. And outside of that, you can't move in zeal. You know, one thing I, th I, I thought about as I was preparing this teaching, you know, is the Crusades. You know, many of those armies and soldiers thought they were doing it um, for God. They had zealousness for God while they went out beheading people and killing people, uh, of course, having them convert before they did that, but they thought that they were doing that for God. I mean, there were some that thought the Holocaust, they were doing it for God. Clearly, those are extreme cases, and there's much less extreme cases that we could bring up but again, we have to ensure that we just aren't enthusiastic. We just aren't in this state, this all-consuming fire for God, his house, and his instructions, and his will. We have to ensure that it's grounded in Scripture. We have to ensure that it's through the Holy Spirit. If anyone has the mindset or perspective, this mindset that I've been talking about of going out and taking action like these, they are mistaken. Zeal is what drove these men in accordance with the instruction of God, or with the instruction of God. Wisdom of spirit and situation of time to take these actions. They weren't just moving out of a hyped up emotional state because what they believed to be wrong. And that's the interesting piece of this. Even though we use terms like passion, enthusiasm, fervency, like I mentioned before, zeal is not this emotion. Zeal is a consistent state of being that causes people to move in many different ways at many different times. Yes, zeal causes individuals who see evil persist to take action and to get angry with that righteous anger. We should. But zeal also causes people so this is where I want to move away from looking at these actions of driving out money changers, of getting this righteous anger that's tied to, uh, this, to the term zealousness. I want to move away from that because there are so many other things that comes from an individual having zeal. Zeal causes people also to fall on their knees for hours, on end praying for their families, praying for their community. Zeal causes people to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to give to the poor. Zeal causes individuals to leave the fleshly fruits of the world, to cling and hold on to the fruits of the Spirit. Yes, it takes zeal of God to move in peace. When you're moving in peace, you have the zeal of God within you. When you're moving in love, when you have joy, when you have self-control, 
when you show kind, kindness, when you have patience, when you have goodness, when you have faithfulness, when you are gentle, you're moving in the zealousness of God. The battle we discuss raging inside of us each and every day, this battle, this, this flesh versus spirit battle, For the spirit to win out, it takes a considerable, considerable amount of zeal. The same zeal that drove Yeshua, that drove Eliyahu, and that drove Pincus must live in us as well for us to overcome the fleshly traps of the world. That passion, that enthusiasm, that steadfast love of God and of his will and his instructions, that's how we overcome our flesh. That's how we overcome this world. So as the title details today, does the zeal of God's house consume us today? Before we can answer that though, I think we need to dig further. Not only, not only, zeal, not only on zeal and how people moved in their zeal, but what the focus of our zeal should be because as we know, there have been and are uh, many people throughout the ages who believe that they were moving in righteous zeal when they were doing anything but. And unfortunately, individuals who move in this zeal that is not grounded in Scripture and guided by the wisdom of the Spirit can cause great harm to individuals physically and spiritually. We read many examples in Scripture and have observed many instances in history that details people moving with a wayward zeal. We see Paul warning people to ensure their zeal is in line with God as we read Romans 10, 1 through 4, which states, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So as we read here, Paul is speaking of people who have a zeal for God, but not according in accordance with the knowledge of Yeshua. Those who had this zeal were zealous in following the law perfectly. They were debated over and over what the word says, as well as, and I thought, found it interesting in the scripture, it says, for the law, but also in ensuring that they kept the traditions of men or the oral law, as the verse states, established their own. They were right to have a zeal for the law, but unfortunately that zeal for the law was guided by their fleshly desires and not God's righteousness. They fell into the category that 1 Corinthians 8.1 states, which says, Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all, we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes one conceited, but love edifies people. Knowledge makes one conceited, but love edifies people. What, what trap that these individuals that Paul was speaking of fell into is they kept seeking this knowledge. Right? They kept seeking the knowledge through studying the scripture and debating the, 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 the Torah as well as focus on the oral laws and debating those. They weren't seeking God's will. They were seeking their own because they were seeking to be puffed up. They were seeking the positions. The scribes and Pharisees were most notorious for this. They sought to puff themselves up above the people as opposed to God. His instructions in his will... Another example of misguided zeal is detailed in Philippians. And here Paul is describing how at one time he was a part of this misguided zeal. Philippians 3, 4 through 6 states, 
Although I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So we see here a scripture we've reviewed um, several times, but Paul is listing out his credentials uh, to those that he's speaking to. He's listing out, he's a Jew of all Jews. He has it all, right? He has the perfect uh, background. And what's important, though, to focus on for this teaching is that verse 6 where he says, he had a zeal. He had a passion. He was enthusiastic. He had a steadfast, um, he, he viewed himself as living in this state of being. But of course, it was misguided because that zeal went to persecuting the church. That zeal went to persecuting those who loved Yeshua, who those that, that gave their life uh, to Yeshua. Paul had yet to come to the knowledge of God's righteousness, which is Yeshua at this point and moved in the zeal of a man as he persecuted the church. He highlights the focus of his zeal in Galatians 1.14, which states, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. See, his focus was wrong. His focus, his extreme zealousness was on the ancestral traditions. As we, read in, as we read in Romans 10, there were people who had a zeal for God, but in that zeal or in their enthusiasm, at some point left the knowledge and righteousness of God and began to establish their own righteousness. And we see that detailed here by Paul. At some point, the traditions of man became the focus over the commands of God. Basically, the zeal to do their own will one out over fervently seeking to do God's will. And that is the crux, the tipping point, the crossroad that we navigate on a daily basis. Are we seeking God's will in our lives? Or are we seeking our own? Each and every moment we choose God's will over our own, we are exhibiting an aspect of zeal for God. We are joining Yeshua, Eliyahu, Pinchas, and countless others in moving in zeal. We might not be calling down fire from heaven. We might not be moving in that spirit of zealousness in which God can use to further... Excuse me. We might not be calling down that fire, but we are moving in that spirit when we show the love of God, when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we are out there having joy, having self-control, choosing the will of God over our own will each and every day, we are exhibiting that same spirit of zealousness, that same state of being that at our core, we are God's. At our core, we are, we are seeking for God to live in our, in our hearts and to guide us each and every step of the way as opposed to us going our own way. When we are at work, when we're at the grocery store, no matter where it is, no matter what we're doing, if we are carrying out the commands of God, if we are carrying out the love of God, if we are carrying out the instructions, if we are carrying out the will of God of our lives, we're moving in that spirit of zealousness. To have zeal doesn't mean you got to go shake the earth. To have zeal doesn't mean you got to do this huge thing. We all should have zeal for God. It should all consume us. 
So laying aside our fleshly desires and having zeal not for our will, but for God's. What should be the focus of our passion, our enthusiasm, our state of moving in God's will? 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12 states, So you too, since you are eager to possess spiritual gifts, strive to excel for the edification of the church. So in this verse, Paul is speaking about a zealousness. Now, in, in, um, and, I, and believe me, I used uh, NASB for my whole teaching. And for whatever reason, they didn't feel like using zeal or zealousness uh, wherever it should have been zeal or zealousness. But in this scripture, uh, the term, at least in my version, says eager. Some of yours might say uh, zeal or zealousness. Um, it is... Um, it is, the Greek term for it is zelotes or zealous. I believe we see though, so, so, so Paul is stating, so you too, since you are zealous to possess spiritual gifts, strive to excel for the edification, the lifting up of the church. I believe we see the same instruction here as what we've been discussing related to the Jews in the first century. Paul is ensuring that those who are zealous, who are coming forward and wanting, desiring, passion, having passion to move in the spiritual gifts that God laid forth in Scripture, he's ensuring they're doing it for the right reasons. He was guiding them to seek to move in God's will and not their own. He was making sure that they're doing it not to lift themselves up, not to move so people can cheer them on or say, wow, did you see how he moved or how she moved? He wanted to make sure that their focus was correct. That in moving in the spiritual gifts of God, they're edifying, they're lifting up others. He was guiding them to seek to move in God's will and not their own. And in stating this, he was guiding them to lift up and not destroy. Another example of the correct focus of our zeal can be found in Titus 2.14, which states... Just verse 14. I'm sorry, uh, 11, through 14, uh, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires to live sensibly, righteously, in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Again, we see the term here, eager towards the end, eager for good deeds, um, which is zealous uh, from the Greek. Titus here is encouraging people to use their zealousness for God to lift them up, to move in the fruits of the Spirit, as we mentioned before. Move in peace and joy and love and self-control and faithfulness, kindness. He's encouraging them to lift up people, to have zealousness, to have enthusiasm, passion, to move in the fruits of the Spirit. Before I end my teaching today, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes on the source verse for this teaching again, and what I referenced earlier about the, uh, in the, uh, them, or, you know, David or Yeshua having zeal for the house of God. Uh, Psalm 69 verse 9 states, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. So again, when we see here, and I mentioned before about, 
uh, for the house, um, the house of God. If we notice in the verse and many others that we discussed today, it states a zeal for God's house. And as I mentioned before, what does God's house mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? It means, clearly, it has a variety of meanings, right? Because there was a house of God um, during this time. So clearly, it could be taken literal. It, then you have to go into contextual review and understand what the context of Scripture is saying. Is it talking about the physical house of God? Or is it talking about something else? Like we read in John 2, how it references um, Yeshua being the temple, right? His body being the temple. Or we go into other Scriptures, and it references how our bodies are the temple of God because He dwells within us, just like what God has always wanted to do from the beginning, right? When he asked them to create a tabernacle because he wanted to dwell with his people, right? So there's a, a, you can use this uh, in a variety of ways. We're not looking at, so when we think about the house of God and we see the title or this verse about having zeal for the house of God, I'm not looking at it as uh, from a literal perspective, having zeal just for the building that was built so he could dwell in. I'm looking at it in the other way of a more figurative. And what does that house of God mean? In Scripture, when we reviewed it in uh, Luke around kingdom of God, what does the kingdom of God represent? It represents God's will. It represents God's instruction. It represents who God represents, right? All of the things that God has commanded us throughout Scripture, all of the things that he has commanded us to live our lives and things we should take action or things that we should stand up for, all of those items that we can list, tons and tons of them, right? I've been, meant, I've been utilizing the fruits of the Spirit. Um, others, I've been utilizing the uh, verses in Matthew talking about uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those in prison, right? Uh, many, many, many examples. Praying, fasting, whatever it might be. I mean, we, we, you can go to Isaiah 58 and you can review in Isaiah 58 talking about what a true fast is. And what a true fast, is it, is it to, to a notch on your belt that you, you were able to go 24 hours without eating? No. A true fast is to break chains, to loose bonds, right? To proclaim freedom over those who've been in jail. That is the will of God. That is why Yeshua came to this earth. Right in Luke, when, when again, when it talks about the kingdom of God, when he's on that cross, it references the fact that is the kingdom of God. Him dying for the world, loosing the chains, the bondage of sin, and bringing forth this freedom to all those who accept the gift. That is the kingdom of God. That is the house of God. So when we think about, we, do we have zeal for the house? Does the zeal for the house of God consume us? Does the zeal for the kingdom of God consume us? That's what we should be uh, taking accounting of. That's what every day when we lay down and we think about the day or whatever, however we go about it, right? And we think about how we lived our lives for God. That is what we should be thinking about. Am I consumed in promoting the kingdom of God? And then you go down. It's similar to, you know, the, the, the law stands on two, right? The love of God and the love of neighbor, right? And then it goes down to the Ten Commandments. And then it goes down to the rest of the Torah, right? Similarly like this. It all starts with the kingdom of God. And what does the kingdom of God represent? It represents all of those things I just mentioned. And then as we're taking an accounting of our lives each and every day, week, wh wh whatever, whatever timeline is, is good for us, as we're taking an accounting 
and reviewing that, we're thinking to ourselves, have, did I have joy today or did I have joy this week? Did I, did I have kindness? Did I show kindness to people? Did I open doors? Did I pray for people? Did I uh, give people an encouraging word? Did I have faithfulness as I'm going through my day at work and uh, potentially I'm having doubts or worries or whatever it might be? Did I have faithful, was I faithful in God that he would guide me and lead me, that he would direct me in all my ways? Did I have self-control when my spirit and flesh began to fight against each other during the day? Did I have uh, self-control uh, to have that zeal to overcome that flesh that, that crept up? All of this is being consumed by the, house, by the zeal for the house of God. All of that. I totally went off script there, which I don't typically do. So let me find my spot. Um, so again, and I know I said this, but I just want to repeat it because I think, I think it's important and I got to get back in my script. No, but, uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, truly, when we think about being consumed by the zeal um, of God for the house of God, you know, to go out into this world, what does it represent? When we go out in this world to feed, to clothe, to visit, and I think that's one that gets lost many times over is to visit. Um, and I know it gets lost with me, and that's one of, the, one of the big important ones, right? Because to visit with someone, wherever they may be, and, and whatever their need is, it takes time, right? It takes time out of our own schedules. But usually that has the biggest impact. So to clothe, visit, pray, heal, you know, obviously through Yeshua calling us um, to pray for someone to be healed, to fast for those chains to be broken, for people to be freed from their bondage. Also, and as we saw the examples uh, um, in scripture that we read uh, for this week, you know, to rebuke, I know I spent a lot of time because you know, the, the, the sections we were using obviously showed the rebuking in action, right? So I wanted to um, show the other side as well. But of course, Yeshua clearly in the temple was rebuking the den of thieves, was rebuking um, those money changers, right? So there is a need for rebuke. Reprove, plant, cultivate, exhibit joy, peace, self-control, faithfulness, on and on and on. Where all these things are, all those things I just mentioned, all those actions, where those are, that is where God is. And where God is, that is where our zeal should be focused on. To end, Revelation 3, 19 through 22 states, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and he will dine with me, and he with me. So as we go through our journeys uh, to the end of age, to Olam Haba, let us continually receive the discipline of God, continually receive the instruction of God, and continually seek the will of God, and be zealous for that. And when we get rebuked, we zealously repent, and when, or discipline, we zealously repent, and then we zealously seek um, for his will in our lives. So may God's zeal for his will consume us the rest of our days. Amen.
It is our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made us unlike the nations of the lands and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He has not made our portion like theirs and our lot like all their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the King over kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation. And the seat of His glory is in the heavens above and the presence of His power is in the most exalted heights. He is our God, there is none other. True is our King. There is nothing beside Him as it is written in His Torah. And you shall know that this day and take to your heart that the Lord, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below, there is none other. Amen. Amen. Let us stand again.